And so then James turns to me and I'll never forget it. He said, son, and I quote, he says, son, don't you know that if you were to die in your sin, that heaven would not be your home. I'll never forget that. When he looked at me, it was like there was nobody else on the planet, but just me and him. Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. It's Tuesday, where you're going to hear a powerful testimony of God's grace revealed in human lives. Each Tuesday, you'll hear Pastor Adam interviewing pastors from around the world to share the mighty miracles that God has done in their lives to give you hope for yours. We share the stories of the men behind the messages you hear every other day on this podcast. Keep in mind that the free version only includes a portion of the whole testimony interview. To listen to the full version, use the links in the show notes to subscribe via Apple Podcasts or Supercast.tech. Every dollar goes to supporting world evangelism. Enjoy today's Testimony Tuesday. Welcome aboard to one more episode of Testimony Tuesday here on the VBPH Sermon Podcast. This is Pastor Adam once again with you, and we're so glad to have you along for the ride. We are very excited to be joined by a special guest today, and it is Pastor Lamont Melrose, all the way from Pasadena, Texas. Thank you for joining us tonight. We appreciate you uh, making the time. Um, how you doing? Good to see you. I'm doing very well. I can't complain. Well, good. Praise the Lord. Well, I like that. Otherwise, uh, uh, I'd, I'd ask another guest. <laughs> <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> Praise God. Well, uh, thank you again for, for making the time. Uh, it's uh, it's uh, valuable to us, and we appreciate that. So for those who don't know you, Pastor Lamont, why don't you introduce yourself, your family, and uh, how God is moving where you are serving him? Amen. Well, for those that do not know me, my name is Lamont Melrose. And my lovely wife, Jaina, and I, we are currently uh, pastoring in Pasadena, Texas, and have been uh, for 12 years. And uh, just believe in God for good things happening here. Uh, God is moving. We are, I want to say, two weeks away uh, from our third Bible conference in Colleen, Texas. That is my mother church. Uh, that's where I got saved. And uh Pastor James Rosario is my pastor, and he has been my pastor uh, for a little over 12 years. And so uh, we're just excited about the conference. Uh, God is moving in our church. Uh, we, we do concerts. We, do, uh, we finished a, a revival with Jeremiah Wacker, which was incredible. Uh, we, had, we had our highest attendance in a, uh, in a service. And during the revival, we had over 140 people uh, in that service. We had several people saved that week, uh, had a lot of people healed, uh, filled with the Holy Ghost. And so we're excited. Uh, the discipleship is what's really encouraging, uh, seeing young guys uh, hungry for ministry, hungry for the, 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 uh, the harvest field, so to speak, and just uh, gonna, we're going to represent very strong in the conference. A lot of people... Uh, set uh set time aside and so uh just flowing uh just moving we're actually getting ready to go into another uh revival with jerry fussell uh before that conference and so just just keep the holy ghost moving uh we've seen 
several people healed, uh, set free. Uh, one young lady came out. Uh, 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 this was just recently. Uh, she came out to service this past Wednesday. And that same day, she's going to take her life. Uh, she's going to take her life. But she remembered one of the ladies from our church giving her a flyer and giving her testimony. And in that hour of desperation, she called and just asked the lady, uh, you know, where is your church? She didn't know we were having service that evening. And she said, yeah, we have service tonight. Won't you come? Drove herself, came to church, answered the altar call, and got filled with the Holy Ghost that same night. So that's what's going Hallelujah. on in Pasadena. That's what I'm talking about. And uh, it's just incredible uh, that my wife and I could be a part of something like that. So praise God. Man, that sounds wonderful. Is this a church that you pioneered or you took over there in Pasadena? Uh, we took over the church in 2011. Uh, we are the fourth uh, pastor uh, to pastor this church. The church was founded in 2006. So we came in in, in 2011. And we've been here ever since. Praise God. Well, I love to hear the stories of longevity. That is uh, encouraging. I think it's great for the church. We have to, as pastors, we, you know, we hear good preaching in conferences that we need to be open to the Holy Spirit when he calls us. Right. But uh, we also need to be able to hear from the Holy Spirit uh, when he wants us to stay. So that's very encouraging. And I think, uh, w would you say that um, that what the success that you're seeing recently is related to the amount of time that you guys have been there? Uh, it, it definitely has a part uh, to play. Um, in 2016, uh, it's, a, it's a funny, well, it's funny now, uh, and I think it, it just really confirmed God having us stay here. We're, we're always, my wife, both and I, both my wife and I, we're both uh, creatures of adventure. And, you know, if God called us to Chicago, we're gone. If God called us to, you know, Ecuador, we're gone. That's just who we are. Uh, we were in Dallas, Texas, pioneering, and we had established a church there. We were there for three years. And when we got the call to come here, we packed up and, you know, we came. But what happened in 2016 was uh, actually 2015 uh, was, I would say, at least to date, was literally the worst year uh, as a minister, uh, at least for me in my personal ministry. Uh, I mean, we lost, I want to say, 11 couples uh, that year. We were trying to get another building. Uh, we had a building, and we had a, a gentleman come, and he uh, he was going to draw up the plans for us because we needed prints to send to the city. And I cut him a check to get that going, and he burned off. Mm. So we took the rest of the money, and we just remodeled the building where we were. Meanwhile, between the dust and all of that, uh, we're, we're, we're having to put people out, and people are leaving, and rebellion. Uh, it was awful. And uh, I was like, oh, my God, get me out of here. So January comes around, January 2016, my wife and I, we go to the Prescott Conference. I told my wife, uh, I said, we need to start going to Prescott. You know, it's kind of like an unspoken rule. You know, if you're full-time, which I was sort of full-time, I was part-time, so to speak, so I'm still going to Prescott. And uh, Mark Olson was preaching, I think it was a Thursday morning at the 11 o'clock and after that during the altar call somebody gets up and prophesies so like praise god prophecy it 
conference. And he gets no better than this. And this guy literally read my mail. I mean, it, it hit me so much that when I came home from the conference, I literally transcribed it. And I still have that uh, transcription to this day about uh, disciples, about having a heart. I mean, it was just so, I talked to my pastor about it. I wrote Pastor Campbell about it. And I just, you know, God, I don't know what you're saying, but if you're telling us, you know, to, to go, then, you know, we'll do whatever you, you tell us to do. So January, it comes, we, we bring in Patrick. I think that was a, the year before Patrick was getting ready to go to China. And uh, we begged and for him to come to a, a, a revival for us before he left. And when we were having the, the revival, at the beginning of the revival, we were right around 50 people. At the end of that revival, Wednesday night, uh, we were about 97, 98 people. Hallelujah. Uh, it, it was just, it, it was, it was a madhouse. And I was like, you know, it's a revival. You know, people come, we have visitors. Well, it just began to build from there. It seemed like every service, 100, 105, 101, 97, 80. I mean, every service, we're bringing out extra chairs. We had a precious lady, God bless her soul. She's gone on to be with God. But she would come on Wednesday nights. I mean, she'd come Sundays too, but she'd come on Wednesday nights with just boatloads of food. She said, I want to cook for the whole church. I said, well, sweetheart, you're going to do some serious cooking. And so, I mean, it's just, it, it was just an overflow. And God was just really moving and accelerating the church. And about this time, uh, uh, one of my good friends was pioneering in Honduras. He was in San Pedro Sulas. And uh, not to go into the weeds, but uh, Pastor Rosario had to bring him home. And so he told me, he said, hey, you know, I got to bring so-and-so home. And I'm praying. I'm like, man, okay, you know, and I'm just praying for him. But my wife can hear me talk to Pastor on the phone. As she was working a job at the time, she wrote on a piece of paper one word. And I didn't know she wrote it, and she slipped it underneath me. I'm sitting on the bed, uh, and then she walked out and went to work. And what she wrote on the paper, I, I said, what are you doing? And I picked it up, and that one word said yes, and it brought back that conference. And so I, I said, wait a minute. Okay, God, what are you saying? You know, is this it? Is this the time? And so I, I began to pray, and maybe an hour later, Pastor calls me back. He said, remember that? Remember that prophecy? Remember what you told me in conference? I said, yes. He said, well, we want you and your wife to go to Honduras. Oh, wow. And, and I'm telling you, Adam, as like a, a, a kid in a candy store. I mean, we, we sold stuff. We, we, I mean, we were just so excited. And in my puny little finite mind, it just made sense. The church is absolutely bonkers. We've doubled the church. I mean, you could just plug somebody right in and, you know, we're off, you know, like, I don't know how familiar you are with, with Fraggle Rock. We're off to outer <laughs> space, like, yeah. you know, Uncle Traveling Matt, you know, so we're, we're, we're gone, you know? And Great. so, yeah. you know, we're working things out with pastor and going back and forth and it begins to stall a little bit. So February turns into March, turns into April and it's like, Hey, you know, what, what are we going to do? And how's this going to work? And, Long story short, he couldn't 
get anyone to come in and and replace me. He had asked some people and and they said no. Mm. You know, and in my mind, I'm like, who wouldn't want to take over a hundred member church? I mean, man, don't you see what's going on? I'm sending pictures and man, we're having a Holy Ghost time. And, you know, and in the back of my mind, it was shoot, man, I'll stay here. <laughs> um, yeah. But I was frustrated because I really, really wanted to go. That was really the thing to the point where I, it was almost as if I ignored what was going on in, in Pasadena. I didn't care about that. I want to go to Honduras. Oh, man. You know? And so my yeah. mind is gone. And finally, look, uh, we can't. We can't send you guys. I'm sorry. You know, we're going to have to send somebody else. We can't bring anybody. And me and my wife, to say that we were bitter and upset is an understatement. And oh, my goodness. I, I, I shamefully regret uh, admit that, you know, we had some pretty choice words uh, for, for our pastor, respectively. But I was hot. You know, I was mad. I was like, I can't believe this. And, and I don't. I don't know how many people are watching this, but don't do what I did. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm preaching about world evangelism. And in my, in my bitterness, I'm, I said, did you know that me and my wife are this close from going to Honduras? You know, you know, I'm just, I'm just spewing all kinds of stuff. And, and, and little by little, the church began to dwindle, you know, so it's a hundred, mm. then it's 80. Then it's fit. And then we're right back to, well, we didn't go all the way back to 50, but we were right back there. And, and, uh, and I'm just so mad and, you know, and so at, uh, there's a revival going on in South Houston with one of my good friends, Richie Velario. And I said, come on, let's go. You know, I'm still, you know, George Jefferson funky. <laughs> and I get this pain and I don't know what it is. I don't know where it came from. But by this time, the Holy Spirit's like, <clears throat> you know, and so I'm, okay, I know what's going on. I know why. So I sit through the service, powerful service, it, great, great time. But I knew in my mind. You can go wrong with Valerio. You know, I, I knew in my mind. And so my wife's like, hey, you know, uh, Richie's praying for people to be healed. You know, you need to go up there. You're complaining about pain. And I said, I already know what the pain is. She said, what? I said, I got a problem with my headship, with pastor. Oh, I said, man. that's the problem. And he, go up there anyway. So I go up there and, you know, Richie, I said, look, man, I said, I love you. And I believe God. I said, but I'm just going to tell you right now, I already know what the issue is. I said, if you want to pray, go ahead. I said, but I already know what time it is, man. And so he prays for me. The pain's still there. And so right after service, I go right outside. I get on the phone. I call Pastor Rosario. And I uh, profusely apologize for my attitude and everything. And Sure enough, totally healed. And, but what I learned was God says, I just wanted to see where you were. If that door opened is that I saw two things. I saw somebody who's willing and ready to go, but also some, somebody who had a funky attitude with their pastor. So I needed to bring that to the surface and deal with that. And, mm. and, and when God began to do that, we didn't, you know, we didn't go back to the hundreds and all of that, so to speak. But what God brought in was God brought in quality. We begin to see older couples come into the church. We begin to see uh, people come in. And, we, you know, we'd hit high numbers every now and then. But, but we begin to see an acceleration in our giving and a maturity and a dignity to the church 
Because a lot of these people that were saved before, I mean, it was true conversions, but it was a lot of kids, not kid like right. grade school, but, you know, 20, 21, 22, you know, barely still living with their parents, that kind of thing, you know. But then after that, we begin to see, you know, 40-year-olds, I say, oh, praise God, somebody my age, you know, <laughs> uh, grandmothers coming in with means and, and begin to send us overseas and, and we begin to do things like that and have expression. And so it taught me something. And so I kind of shifted my attitude and said, you know what, God, if that door opens and you want us to go, we're gone. We don't have to worry about it, but we're here and we are going to disciple. That's what you told us to do is to disciple people. And we're going to launch church and we're going to believe God. And so uh, that's still my mindset uh, today. So I know that's a long Amen. story. That is, <laughs> that is powerful, Pastor Lamont. I I have to uh, I have to echo a few things of what you said because uh, we we had faced uh, a similar situation hmm. uh, in our ministry as well where we had been called upon to go to China and then it it didn't end up working out but uh, there there was some factors involved but one of the things that we went through at that time was I, I'm kind of like you I have that adventurous spirit I I, I just want to go let's go you know right. And yeah. <laughs> um, adventure is out there. And yes. uh, so, you know, but um, the will of God isn't dictated by our personality types. And right. I guess for, for me, for me, for my wife, for us in that season, we had to, we mm -hmm. had to navigate and figure out that, okay, is, is, is answering the missionary call is this just escapism? Is this just a form of us trying to get away from mm. problems that we're that we really don't want to face? And uh, right. you know, ha having to deal with that, man, that that's exactly what what we had to do at that time. And so uh, it, it took more faith, believe it or not, to stay and confront some really deep seated issues, both in our church and in us, in me. Uh, than it would have taken to go launch into a missionary calling again. So, but I'm so grateful that we made that decision at the time. And, uh, you know, I would love to answer that missionary call at some point again in the future, but I, I love your story because it's the kind of story that, you know, you, is behind the scenes that I had never heard. <laughs> and oh, people okay. look at you and say, man, Pastor Lamont, he's got the victory all the time, brother. And, uh, <laughs> but to, to see that we go through some things, that's so yeah. great. Thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. <laughs> well, uh, I would love to get some more background about you. And uh, and so where where did you grow up? I am from Austin, Texas. Hook them. So uh, I'm, from the, 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 I'm from the miracle, the miracle state. I call that the miracle state because in Indiana, uh, Jameson Shoemaker in 1836 put Madison Marsh into uh, the uh, into office by one vote. And Madison Marsh uh, was called upon to uh, decide, the, 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 the Senate was deadlocked to decide another uh, U.S. Senate uh, senator into office a few years later, which was James Harrigan by one vote. And James Harrigan was responsible for giving Texas its statehood in 1845 by one vote. Ooh. And so Stephen F. Austin comes back comes back to Austin, Texas, and he's got the victory. Well, it wasn't called Austin, Texas at that time, but he comes back to Texas with the victory, saying we are a, a, a state, uh, we are the, the 28th state in the union, and we became a state by one vote. So I always call Texas the miracle state, 
uh, there's there's good things here, especially when people from California are fighting to get here. So, uh, yeah, I'm from Austin, Texas. I'm a Longhorn, and so that's that's where I'm from. I grew up. Um, unfortunately, I grew up typically in a broken home. Um, my I'm a I'm a high school baby. Um, my mother was still she was a senior in high school when she had me. My dad was already out, and uh, I, I was raised primarily uh, by my mom and. Uh, my dad and I, we have a wonderful relationship now, but for years, you know, the bitterness, uh, the fatherlessness, um, you know, and then, of course, being a young black child uh, in the streets of Austin, Texas, uh, it, it was pretty rough uh, uh, growing up and, and, you know, living with my grandmother and my grandmother lived in a nursing home. And so, you know, because my mother, you know, she is still in the dating era, uh, you know, she had one particular boyfriend that didn't like kids. And me and my brother, we were a little bit older uh, at that time, and and uh, we couldn't live. We couldn't live there. So uh, I lived with my grandmother. My brother went to go live with his father, and so it was, it was a wild scene, man. I, I I grew up on Sixth Street. Uh, I I, le- I learned how to shoot craps <laughs> when I was eight, ten, eleven years old. Uh, but that's if I wanted if I wanted candy bars, if I wanted if I wanted ice cream, if I wanted things like that. Then I had to gamble to get it. And uh, contrary to popular opinion, I don't know how it is in New York. I don't know how it is in major metropolitan areas. But in Austin, Texas, downtown, the hookers were a lot more dangerous uh, than the drug dealers and the homeless. Uh, they'll cut you quick to get your money. So I had to get my money and get on the bus uh, real quick. But I remember those days growing up, basically raising myself. My grandmother, you know, she did the best she could. But, you know, it's hard raising up impressionable young teenager you know you bring in the 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 influence of gangster rap which was going on as as a kid uh the racism the back to africa all of that uh was around when i was a kid i know i'm kind of dating myself uh but that's what i grew up in and it wasn't until i was a a sophomore getting ready to be a junior in high school is when i really heard the gospel uh for the first time where i could understand it um Okay. Yeah, that was going to be my next question is what kind of uh, spiritual or religious background did you have? Well, it was a religious background uh, before it became spiritual, and I'll explain. Uh, Nine years old, uh, I go back, remember, I vaguely remember, I was eight, nine years old, was when I first heard the gospel. I grew up in a Baptist church. You know, my family uh, went to a Baptist church, and (laughs) the scenario was this. My mom went to the Baptist church, the pastor of the church, his son, and my mom, that's how my little brother was born. Uh, I'll put it that way. Uh, but that's, that's, that's what we were. You know, we praise the Lord on Sunday and, and cuss at the television because our favorite uh, football team was losing. I mean, that's just how we were. But when I was the Cowboys. Nine, yeah. Yeah. Uh, nobody's perfect. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> when, when I was nine years old, my, my, the pastor, uh, which is my, my brother's grandfather, he invited his son-in-law to preach. Well, his son-in-law was white. And um, let me paint this scenario for you. Okay, let's, let's hear this. You and I, were friends. And let's say I smoked. I smoked cigarettes. And I fought like the Dickens to hide it from everyone. Okay? You know that I smoke, but I don't know that you know. So let's say we're driving <laughs> okay. together. And you're just ripping smokers. You're just going off. 
and you're doing it on purpose because you know that I smoke, but I, but, but I'm trying to maintain my cool because I don't want to let on that I'm a smoker. And you're just, I mean, you're milking it for all this work because you know it's eating me up. This is how this guy preached. He knew oh, wow. about sin. He knew the fornication. He knew. And I mean, he's ripped. I never heard that before. I never heard that Jesus uh, uh, detested that type of lifestyle. I never knew. I mean, he challenged us. Looking back now, some of the things he said, I mean, I hear you say in a sermon. I mean, he's, you know, I never heard that before. And so after the service, I stayed back, you know, and just talked to him. And, and you know, I'm a little kid. I don't know anything. But all I knew was he had the goods. I, I didn't quite understand faith. I didn't understand salvation. And I believe we prayed. But, you know, I'm a kid. I, I don't know anything. It wasn't until seven years later that I became a Christian. But I personally believe that that planted seeds and I had the glorious opportunity of calling him from my mother's house 20 years later. And I told oh, him, wow. I said, listen, man, when you told me, you know, and I went through the story and I said, I'm pastoring at the time. I think I was pastoring in Dallas and I said, I'm pastoring. I'm doing the will of God. And I said, I want to thank you for planting." I said, I didn't understand, but I believe, you know, so that was my exposure uh, to the gospel. But. You know, um, I didn't I didn't stick with it. I didn't know any better. And yeah, did, I grew up in madness. <laughs> going yeah. Forward. Did, did you ever did you ever have any um, encounters with God? Did you ever have any like supernatural experiences or near death experiences that, that you remember had an effect on you? Well, uh, I don't know if it was a near death experience. I, I said earlier when you said did I what was my background concerning God or spiritual? Um, I was drawn into the occult uh, at an early age. And what drew me, what led me there rather, was martial arts. Uh, I began to practice um, uh, a, a few sports in martial arts. Um, I, my first uh, martial art was Taekwondo, uh, where I reached uh, a red belt. Um, I was a, 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 that led me into Wushu, uh, Wushu Kung Fu. Um, and I, I got a, a red belt into that. That led me into capoeira. That led me into jujitsu. That led me into, you know, and so I was into it. You know, I was really into it. A little bit of karate here and there, uh, a little bit of Aikido. But anyway, that opened me up to a new world, a new crowd of people who took me to the, because it was all fighting. You know, it was, you know, come through Saturday in the afternoon and we're all kicking the poetry out, out front of our, projects to death because we saw Bruce Lee do it for an hour, you know, but it opened okay. up new friends and these friends brought me, did you know this, you know, you can meditate and chi and power and all this. And that drew me into uh, the occult, uh, which drew me into drugs. And so I'm 11, 12, 13 years old around this time. This, I, I had my first sexual experience. I was 12 um, in, in, in the crowd. Uh, with, you know, and we're, we're smoking weed and we're doing all these things and we're practicing martial arts and the rage. And I mean, I can go on and on, but my near death experience, so to speak, is we're at, we're at a house and they're, they're playing a Ouija board and, and, you know, I didn't care about it personally. Uh, all I knew is these covens and these people that were really into it, man, I'm telling you, they had the best weed in Austin and, <laughs> Me and my friends, we didn't care. 
we wanted the girls and we wanted the weed. And if we, we, if we hummed for 30 minutes, that's fine. You know, that's, you know, uh, and one night we're, you know, we're smoking, we're having a good time and they're trying to do the little thing. And I kid you not the Ouija board and the little pendulum levitated off the coffee table and slammed into the wall and shattered into pieces like it was glass. And it's cardboard because I touched it. I looked at that wall. I look again, everybody's like, whoa, what was that? And in my, I'm holding a joint in my hand and I begin to connect the dots. I put the joint down, I stood up and I said, good night. <laughs> I was 14 years old. I never touched weed since. <laughs> and I never, I said, uh-uh. If this is causing that, brother man has got to go. <laughs> I was done. I was done with that part of spirituality. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Uh, but the loss just keep getting loster. <laughs> so that put me into, well, I need to find out who God is. Well, mm. I, I didn't go to church. I didn't understand. So I got into other religions. So I, I, I got into the Baha'i faith and that didn't make sense to me. So then I got into, you know, uh, the Muslim faith and I thought it was cool. Cause all my friends, you know, all black power and all this kind of stuff. So I got into it, but it didn't make sense because uh, uh, somebody messed up. They told me to read the Quran and read the Bible at the same time. Why did they tell me that? <laughs> because I found all these errors and all this. That's like, that's not what that means. And I would argue, I'm not saved at all, you know, but I'm arguing with them. It's like, oh yeah, this, this, and it's like, no, Jesus is, he can't be a prophet. You know, and we're arguing back and forth. It's like, How can he be a prophet if the, and I'm finding texts in the Quran that give Jesus his deification. And oh man, they get so angry with me. And I was like, man, I'm just reading it. I said, you read it. No, man, I ain't reading that. I was like, dude, it's right there. You know, we're going back and forth. Yeah. And I said, man, y'all just a bunch of suckers, man. So I didn't want to believe anything. I just said, man, it's just a bunch of mess. I don't care. I know God is real. I just don't know who he is. And when he taps me on the shoulder, that was kind of like my attitude, you know, and that lasted for about two years until that fateful night, uh, July 27, 1990, when I was mm. witness to for the first time, it, uh, I was wow. living in Colleen. We had moved from Austin, Texas to Colleen, Texas in 1989. And uh, you talk about Mayberry from from Austin, Texas. Colleen was Mayberry. <laughs> it, it, it was it was a nightmare. I really thought Didn't Jason. Fit your style, huh? I thought Jason lived there. I thought <laughs> I, I, I thought somebody's coming out of cornfields to get me. Uh, I'm taller than the buildings downtown. I mean, it was, it was <laughs> awful. You know, my mom said, wow. oh, we're going downtown. I said, I said, mom, where's downtown? She said, we're here. I said, oh, no, I said, mom, we gotta go. We got, we gotta get out of here. <laughs> we gotta go back to Austin. This is, this is not going to work. But that following summer is when I was witnessed to and presented, uh, with the gospel for the first time. And wow. I knew the church thing. Uh, it was in a park. Okay. Well, hey, be, before you get to that story, I, I just want to okay. I, I want to get a couple more details about about uh, your especially the, the martial arts, just because I think it's the first time we've encountered this in a uh, in a testimony. OK. And um, and I, I wonder if you would maybe just um, drill down a little bit on uh, because there's a lot of people who say, well, you know, what's the harm? Uh, it, kids 
get them out of their shell, you know, get them active and moving and they got all this energy. Uh, why not just send them to the, to the dojo around the corner and let them do some moves on a, uh, on a dummy or something. Can, can you speak to that? Absolutely. Uh, one of the dangers of martial arts uh, is, is the bedrock, especially for Americans, the bedrock of martial arts is pride. And, you know, you're given a skill and an ability to overpower somebody. Well, that makes you feel good about yourself. Okay. You combine that with hormones. You combine that with the exposure and the entertainment uh, of television where, you know, Bruce Lee and, and Chuck Norris and all the, these guys are absolute, you know, dogs. And I'm learning what they do. You know, it, it, it builds your pride. And so once you're there with that bravado, then they got you because now you're hungry to learn more. And so it's like, yeah, I want to know more. I would stay after in the dojo. I would work on the wooden man a little more. I would work on the punching and the, and the techniques and, and my, we used to call him Dega. He would come and he said, you're very interested, son. You want to go to the, you want to really do some things. I'm like, yeah, you know, what do I need to do? Well, you need to work on your breathing. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, well, you need to breathe. And, and this is how you get more power. And, you know, and at first, you know, you see that on TV where they, <sighs> and all that, and, and that's television. But what you're doing is you're training yourself to channel your energy into certain parts of your body. This is where you get uh, the term, I don't know how familiar you are with it. This is where you get the terminology, chakra where you can you can channel things you can make your you can make your hands and you can make your arms stronger than what they are and I, I you know I don't know anything I'm just doing what he's telling I'm just the blind leading the blind he you tell me what to do and I'm going to do it I just want to be able to knock this guy out and he don't come back and I begin to knock guys out and they don't come back and it, it the first mm -hmm. time it was it was frightening because I just I I don't even remember, you know, you rear back and you hit them with all you got, but I'm just coming straight from the shoulder and I'm hitting them and, and pressure points and different. And these things are, I didn't realize the demonic that was behind this. Mm, and I'm wow. like, man, and it's, it's so much rage. And I was the worst type of person because it, it, it doesn't take, uh, it took a lot to set me off. And that's the worst type of person. You know, some people's like, what did you say to me? You know, I got a short fuse. I didn't have one. I was kind of a crock pot, so to speak. It would take a long time. But the problem was, is once I got to that certain point, I, I, I have to say, just being exposed to the mysticism and the Eastern meditation of it, once I reached that point of anger, there was no more color. I didn't see things through color. And I could literally taste steel between my bottom lip and my, and my teeth, I could taste it and I'm, I'm gone. I can't hear anymore. All I see is the enemy. And as I was trained it is to eliminate the threat, eliminate them. They are, when you are done, they are not supposed to be moving. And it, it was, it was scary. It, it was a hmm. frightening thing. I didn't realize the power that was behind that. And yeah. after I got saved, I had to renounce uh, a lot of things uh, in yeah. that. 
you know. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, so, like, we know that salvation is going to come along the road here, but wh- where did that path lead, do you think, if, if nothing had changed? Well, because of being exposed to that and being frightened by some of the things that I did, fortunately, I didn't go, you know, wreak havoc all over the place. Uh, but in the scrapes that I did have, uh, it just began, it, it was kind of like having that weed Ouija board moment. It's like you're doing things that no 150-pound skinny little teenager should be able to do. You're, mm-hmm. you're taking football players out. You know, I used to arm wrestle uh, for money. And and uh, these guys are bench pressing, you know, 300 in high school. And I could bench press 300 in high school. And, you know, my friends used to tease me. say, hey, man, when you come to school, bring your chest with you. You quit leaving your chest at home. I was as thin as a rail. <laughs> It's like, how do you, yeah. how is it that you're able to do that? Well, you know, and in my mind, I wouldn't tell them, but in my mind, you know, I'd go home and I would, you know, I wouldn't sit Indian style and do the finger thing, you know, but I would go home and I would just breathe and I would think about power, think about gay, and I would feel my body get warm and different things like that. There's a lot of stuff, man, wow. um, that goes into it. And and I begin to see things and do things, and it, it, it kind of made me afraid. So what I would do is it made me uh it led me into depression and it led me into loneliness. And, mm. uh, and, and I was very standoffish. I wasn't weird because I was in football, uh, not football. I was in basketball and track and, and, uh, you know, and I would tap into talent so I could sing, uh, I could rap and that kind of gave me popularity. So my thing was instead of hurting people, let me entertain them, but it was very superficial. And so that was yeah. kind of my my thing, you know, as I would sing and I would do that. That was the only way to keep the depression, to keep the, well, what I know now, to keep the demons suppressed, so to speak, mm. is I had to play that game uh, with people. But nobody really knew the real me. They just knew Mr. Clown, Mr. Laugh, Mr. Joke, Mr. But deep down inside, I was really, there was a lot of fear and, and depression. Yeah. yeah. And w- one thing that, that, uh, teenagers and teenage boys, I think, especially, and maybe especially teenage boys who don't have a father figure around, have a hard time doing is being able to process their emotions well. And so when you describe yourself as a crockpot, I I totally identified with that because, uh, you know, you can, you can observe and take in a lot of things, but eventually it just like a pressure cooker, you explode. And sometimes it's all internal. People don't even know about it but you're exploding, you know, mentally. And, uh, yeah, I could, I could see how that is a destructive force for sure. Did you, um, how'd you do in school? Oh, I was great in school. I was, I graduated in top 5% of my class. Um, uh, I, I had no problems with school. Um, my motivation was incorrect. I wanted to graduate in the top of my class. I wanted to go to college get a master's degree, uh, get a business license and hire nothing with white people and tell them what to do. So I, <laughs> Is I, that I, for real? <laughs> yeah. I grew up in a, a highly, highly prejudiced home. And wow. that, that was my mindset. It's like, you know what? I'm going to turn the tables. I'm going to be a black owner and I'm going to hire these white folks and I'm going to put them to work. I'm going to, Oh gonna, my goodness! Or, oh yeah, man. You t- I've never heard this before. Insidious, <laughs> man. Insidious, and it wow. was just, just a horrible, horrible attitude. I didn't trust white people. I didn't, you know. Um, uh, but as I got older, 
I begin, I begin to betray my own, you know, thoughts. I'd say things begin to get confusing and switch. And I think God was leading me to him. I said, right around 15, 16 years old, things that I was so sure made sense, didn't make sense anymore. And it's like, you know, the, the, the martial arts scared the heck out of me. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, 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 I was very superficial. I was depressed all the time, which I'm surprised I didn't drink, but I wasn't a very good drinker anyway. Um, I, I felt tempted to go back to the weed, but I remember the story and I was like, no, no, you know, and so a lot of things were confusing for me at that time. And a lot of my principles begin to fade. So I begin to befriend white people. I begin to talk and next thing I said, oh, there is a, another world out here that, that, that I don't know about, you know, and I, uh, and I guess that just over time began to help me. Uh, get closer okay. and closer to Christ. I don't know. Jesus was setting me up the whole time. I just didn't know it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can see that now. Yeah. Um, I, I'm just curious, like, what was that? Was that the normal way that people thought around you when you were growing up or wh- where did that come from? Uh, my family. Uh, yeah. And, and in the, in the neighborhoods in, in Austin, uh, uh, just growing up, you know, uh, primarily black and Mexican people. That's what we grew up around. And uh, I don't even remember seeing my first uh, 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 white person until I was eight, nine years old. And uh, that's I went to a school across town and my teachers were white, you know, and I, I wasn't like, uh, oh, what what is that a ghost? You know, I didn't have that kind of attitude. I knew white people existed from television, but but in person, you know, I was like, wow, you know, that just because I was just so immersed in a what I know today as an oppressed mm-hmm. culture that believed that white people were the enemy and we got to fight and fend for ourselves. And so I kind of grew up in that and you hear that all the time. And, and that's, that's kind of where that mentality came from. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, I, I wonder what you must be thinking when you hear about people today that are promoting um, segregated uh, dormitories and, uh, yeah. graduation ceremonies. Is that the most insane thing you've heard or what? Well, it's hilarious. Uh, it's hilarious now knowing what I know, uh, not so much being, of course, being saved and being right with God, knowing for God so loved the world, but just the, the, uh, the irony in the history, uh, uh, the, the fact that the first slave owner in America was black. And people don't know that one. Yeah. People don't know that. Uh, I mean, just if you just use common sense, you know, they brought us over here. And I would always ask, I said, well, who sold them? You know, <laughs> who sold them? How, how did right. we get here? You know, and uh, it's like you, you you got sold out. And then, of course, you know, uh, we and I say we as African people, I'm from African descent. Actually, my roots go all the way back to Mozambique. But we as African people oppressed the children of Israel for 440 years. It's one of the most powerful books in the Old Testament. I said, um, yeah. <laughs> said payback is <laughs> payback is something else, ain't it? You know, it's like, well, uh, yeah. you asked for it. So and, mm. and 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 just understanding this just from scripture and just watching the world and watching prophecy. And when I hear people talk like that, it's like, you guys don't get it. You you don't get it. And it's uh it's it's comical to me, but it's dangerous because people are buying into it. 
Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it gives, it gives, um, I think it, it, it's really what it is, is, a is a way of gaining a foothold of uh, power over people, right? It's Ab- a way absolutely. Of, you know, it's like manipulating the system almost. Yeah. It's, it, uh, it, the, the best way to, to, to control the best way to control our race is to tell us how unfair life is. Uh, one of the worst things that ever happened to black America was, was uh, white guilt. That that's the worst thing. And we bought, we bought it hook, line and sinker. And people think that that happened uh, during Obama's administration. No, why uh, the white guilt has been around since the 1960s, you know, and, and as you don't understand, I said the forties, fifties and sixties, post-World War II was the golden age for black America. He said, how can mm-hmm. you say that? We had segregation and we had this and we had that. I said, you know what else we had? We had our families. Yep. You know, a black man in the 1940s could work one job, retire from that job, own his own house, have a wife and children. We had the nuclear family. We had power. Were we oppressed by uh, white supremacy at that time? Absolutely. Was there, you know, all these wicked things that happened? Uh, of course. But we were so strong and resilient because we leaned on traditional values and, and right living. Uh, historically, in certain cities in America, uh, a single black mom was unheard of yep. until the 1970s. And, 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 and people, don't, people don't realize that. We, you don't understand what we lost and, and, and what replaced that. And I actually, to give you some history, I actually preached along those lines in Virginia Beach, as a pastor, uh, I, preached, I preached a sermon called The Curse of Freedom is Lack of Self-Control. And I talked about that. Uh, this is long, 1997, long time ago. Uh, and I was trying to show the church at that time, said, we've been lied to, ladies and gentlemen, and we need to wake up uh, regarding that. But here we are being lied to again. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, well, the uh, the enemy lies to everybody in different ways, but yeah. because different lies have different power over different people. Yeah. But uh, let, let's uh, let's uh, go back to the story of Lamont. And uh, so you uh, you made a move to Colleen. What what uh, what inspired that move to Colleen, Texas? Well, uh, excuse me. <clears throat> Living in Austin, uh, I, I want to say around my freshman year in high school. Uh, my, my mom was having some financial troubles. And so she sent me and my brother and my sister, uh, to Houston here actually to live with my aunt. We lived in a place, uh, up in the Northern area, uh, going towards Tomball and, uh, in the Klein area. And I lived there, uh, as a sophomore. And unfortunately, uh, I was very, very close to being trapped. Uh, I, I was dating a girl and she comes out and she says she's pregnant and I'm the father. Of course, it was found out that it was a lie. Uh, she wasn't pregnant, but I, I don't know what her motive was. I, I think she was just trying to break from her, from her parents. And I guess she had this whole plan in her mind that we were going to live together and we were just going to move on. And, you know, well, my mom, when she found out what was going on, she said, er, she said, nope, get him out of there. And so I'm thinking we're going back to Austin. 
And she had found, uh, she was in a relationship with a soldier, <clears throat> excuse me, in Colleen. And so she moved to Colleen and uh, got a place there. And that's like I was saying, the, the nightmare. I'm like, where are we? Oh, we're in Colleen. It's an hour <laughs> north of Austin. Oh, it's going to be great. You're going to go to Colleen High School. And I'm like, come on. So I, I was resistant from the jump. I was like, no, I want to, you know. But that's how we ended up uh, in Colleen. This was October of 1989. So right around seven, seven, eight months uh, before I got saved. Okay. So what were the events that led up to this witness where you heard the gospel for the first time? Well, uh, in, in, in Colleen, uh, getting in with the crowd, doing the whole entertainment thing again, uh, people found out very quickly that I was gifted in sports and they found out very quickly that I was, um, gifted in music that got me into parties and all of that. Uh, but <clears throat> again, I still, I was still disciplined enough to keep my grades up. So my mom stayed on my back. But, uh, one day in class, there was a, a gentleman by the name of James Dunham. And I don't know who he was. He was a substitute teacher in, in one of my classes. And I just recognized his face. I, I didn't know his name at the time, but I never forget faces. And uh, me and my friends, uh, one of my good friends, his name is Tyrone. We used to hang together uh, and, and, and go kick it. You know, we'd always want to go get with girls and, you know, different things like that. And we'd play basketball. And so one night in the summer uh, before our junior years in high school, uh, we were, we were uh, coming home from playing basketball. And we were, gonna, we were supposed to go to this girl's house. But the only way to get there, we had to cut through this park in Colleen called Long Branch Park. <clears throat> And so we're just talking, chopping it up, and we can hear music in the distance. And so we just thought some people, you know, they're out drinking maybe, and they, they were blasting the music because that was a big thing uh, in Colleen back in those days. This is July of 1990. And so we get closer, and there's like a band. There's like a full-blown band playing, but there's no crowd. It's like a concert, but there's nobody out there. And so we start cracking jokes. It's like, well, what kind of band is this? They, he can't even get no pull, man. He can't even get anybody. Well, we didn't know what they were saying. We didn't realize that it was the Potter's House, and they were doing Christian music, and nobody was out there. So as we get closer, you know, I'm curious, and we get closer to the band, I recognize the substitute teacher. And I, I'm thinking to myself, hey, I know that guy. You know, he, 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 he sat in one of my classes. And I said, that's the sub-teacher. So he recognizes, uh, they recognize my friend Tyrone. Apparently they had witnessed to him before. And so when they saw him, they locked in on him. And I'm watching James. And so uh, James and Wayne Nickerson come towards us and begin to deal with Tyrone. And this is when I realized that it was a church. And so they're, um, they're wrapping up. I guess they sung the last song. And they're wrapping up, but they're witnessing to Tyrone. Nobody's talking to me. They're just talking to Tyrone. But I can hear everything they're saying. And, dude, I'm busted. I'm so convicted. All I can mm. about was the weed and the girls and the things I did. And, I mean, just everything. And I'm, I mean, I'm shrinking by the minute. And, and I mean, they're not even paying attention to me. But I'm just like, I'm like a whoop dog at this point. I'm, 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 I'm busted, you know. And so then James turns to me, and I'll never forget it. He said, son, and I quote, he says, son, don't you know that if you were to die in your sin, that heaven would not be your home? 
I'll never forget that. When he looked at me, it was like there was nobody else on the planet but just me and him. And it was mm. like nobody else around. I could hear nothing. I could see it was just we're just deadlocked. And I, 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 I said to myself, but but I kind of said it out loud, like muttered. I said, yeah, I, I know. I know that I'm not going to heaven. I just don't know the way out. I don't know how to, to get right with God. You know, and he reaches into his back pocket and he pulls out a little green Gideon Bible and he takes me through the Roman road, you know, the, you know all of sin, mm. and the wages of sin and all these things. And, and I knew that my sin, that was the problem. The, the, the depression, the loneliness, why I felt the way I felt. That's what it's almost like I had an epiphany. That's the moment that that's the problem. That's what's wrong with me. And, mm. and I'm like, OK, well, I guess I need to figure out how to fix this, you know. And, uh, he's, and, and, and Tyrone, you know, he's, he's getting itchy feet, man. He's like, Hey man, we got to go, man. We got to go. You know? And one of the brothers in the church said, Hey man, I'll give you a ride home. So I'm like, cool. We ain't got to walk no more. And in my mind, I said, well, we ain't going over to the old girl's house. I better start right there. You know? And, uh, I said, yeah, man, just take me home. And so Wayne and James asked, Hey, can we pray for you? Sure. You know? So they mm -hmm. laid hands on us. God convict them. God, just show them your look. I'm like, dude, you ain't got to pray that. I'm already convicted, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Too much. And uh, and so they pray for us. And I'm like, thanks, man. You know, I, I appreciate that. He said, son, would you like to give your life to Jesus? And mama didn't raise no fool. I yeah. said, yes. I didn't know what I was saying yes to. I didn't know what does that mean to give my life to yeah. Jesus. But he said, okay, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray with you again. But I want you to repeat the prayer after me. I'm with it. What do we got to do? And this, uh, these are the words that he said, Lord Jesus, I come before you right now. Lord, I know that I'm a sinner, but I believe that you died on the cross for me and I'm willing to accept you inside my heart. God, forgive me of my sin and be the Lord of my life. In Jesus name. Amen. I say that prayer with every person I pray. I'll never forget that night. And it was wow. like a burden came off. I felt so alive. I'd love to tell you the light shone from heaven. I'd love to, I, I just felt so free and I didn't realize it, but I literally preached to Tyrone all the way home because he didn't pray. I'm like, bro, why didn't you pray the <laughs> prayer? You know, and Richie, he's the guy that drove us home. He's cracking up. He's laughing because he knew God had touched me. And I wow. said, bro, I said, man, I'm, I'm, like, man, you know, and I'm just going, going off. And so I go home and I'm running up the stairs. I couldn't wait to tell my mom. I just, I couldn't wait. She's in the kitchen and I run it. I scared the poor woman half to death. I said, mom, <laughs> you know, he said, what, what, what? You know, I said, mom, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And she's like, that's good, babe. Well, won't you give yourself to these dishes? <laughs> <laughs> and I, everything I told my mom, she would always put the dishes in it, you know, anyway, you know, but I was just so, it was just so real to me. And he said, Hey, you know, that was a Friday night. And he said, Hey, Saturday, we got a concert, you know, you want to come? And I'm like, man, I ain't got no wheels, man. I, I said, can you come get me? I said, when's the concert? And he said, Oh, it's at eight o'clock. And I said, okay. You know, so I said, Hey mom, I'm going to a concert. It's at the church. He's like, what's the name of the church? I said, I don't know. I said, it's a church concert. She said, cool. Well, it's a church go. And that's the first time I really heard like, like Christian music. Like I never heard anything like that before. 
and I was gone. I said, this is it, man. And it was, wow. I mean, it was 20, 25 people counting dogs and cats in the weeds outside, man. <laughs> but I'm telling you, Adam, I was so free. I never experienced, and uh, it's just so real. He's just so real to me. And I, I feel the same way 32 years later like I felt that night, just talking about it. Every time I go out. I can see you lighting up right now. And it's just like, wow, this is what it means. And it was so different from the Baptist church uh, that I grew up in. It was so different from the religion and the artifice. There were black people there. There were white people there. There were, I said, I said, this is, this is what it, this is, this is the real, this is a real church, you know? And uh, funny story, I go to church Sunday. Uh, Bob Alvarez was my first pastor. Oh, I love Pastor Alvarez. Yeah, shout out to Bob. And so he's my first pastor. And so this is my first time in in a church like this. And James, James is the one that followed up on me. He was there and uh, we're singing church songs. I never heard worship like that before. I'm, I'm, I'm from Baptist church. We, we listen to gospel music. I never heard what a mighty God. And I never heard there's a river of life. And I never heard they rush on the city. That was our favorite song. They rush on the city. They run all the wall. I said, I would tell James, I said, Hey man, we'll go sing that song again. You know, I, I, I never, <laughs> you know, and so we get to the slow songs and I think the, the slow song they sang was, um, uh, and now let the weak say, uh, give thanks with a grateful okay, heart. Right. So we're singing, you know, and I'm like, man, this is for real. And then they spoke in tongues. <laughs> I know it's funny now. You think I would freak out? No. You think I was scared, confused? No. This is what I thought. I thought that because this church is so real, they love God so much that they just ran out of words to say. That's what, that's what I thought. I thought, I, I just, you know, Lord Jesus, I just, I, 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 that's what I thought. I was, I was just so well, that, amazed. That's kind of what it is. I was just so amazed by the whole experience. And I'm looking around and James is nervous because he's thinking I'm freaking out. And I'm like, bro, what are they doing? I said, can I do that? I said, man, I got to get some of that now. I said, I don't know what you, I said, I don't know what y'all saying, but I got to get, I said, man, cause you can feel the power, obviously, you know, the Holy ghost. <laughs> and so we go and we pray, you know, Oscar Gafford's wife, Linda. Yeah. Linda. Well, we kind of got saved right around the same time. I think she got saved like maybe three or four months before me. And so pastor, we got new converts. And so he's praying for you to get filled with the Holy ghost. Dude, she's gone. She's, I mean, he just didn't even have to touch her. She's, you know, and I'm laying, I'm, I'm, I'm like, okay, 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 nothing. <laughs> and I'm like, hold on, man. Is this a conspiracy or something? Oh, oh, because I'm black? How come I can't get none of this? And I'm like, well, no, Linda black too. So what am I missing out on? I'm like, man, I knew I shouldn't have messed with that Ouija board. See, I'm going to hell. That's what it is. That's why I, I mean, in my mind, I'm gone. You know, I'm a heathen, bro. I don't, I don't know nothing. So I talked to Pastor Alvarez. I said, Pastor so I can't get the Holy Ghost, man. So I'm going to hell. He's like, no, no. Read the book of Acts. This is what it's about. And so a month goes by. And so now I'm mad because they get it. And I'm, you know, I'm in church during the worship because I know it's going to happen. You know, I said, yeah, man, you know, they're special Christians. You know, I don't get the anointing like they do. So one Sunday morning, I'm ticked off. I said, you know what? I ain't leaving this building 
until I speak. I don't care if I got to copy somebody. I'm getting in on this. This is too much. So, and James is like, why aren't you clapping? I wouldn't look at him. I'm just, I'm just like double Dutch, man. I'm waiting. I know they sing the fast song. They sing the slow song and the Shandalas are coming, you know? And so let's worship God. And I'm like, and I hear James, and man, the whole wham, and I was gone. And Just I, like I, that, huh? Yeah, and I spoke in tongues for a good two or three minutes after everybody stopped. And when I stopped, everybody's looking at me, and I'm like, man, praise God. I said, man, that's that's good. Let's do it again. And it's like, no, man, this is, let everything be done. Get me in order. Sit down. <laughs> you know, but I, that's how I got filled with the Holy Ghost, man. <laughs> So I can tell you story after story, street preaching for the first time, on and on and on. But, you know, anyway. and how, how old were you? I was 16. I was 16. 16. Years old. Yes, sir. Yes, that sir. is a good time to get saved. Yeah. Time's fun when you're having flies. <laughs> uh, I'll be 50 Something in November. Like that. I'll be 50 in November. Wow. Coming it goes up quick. By, yeah, it goes by fast. So. Wow. Wow, sixteen years old. Yes, so sir. you uh, you had a, a life changing experience. What did yeah. uh, was was there anybody uh, close to you, what, Tyrone, that was with you, or anybody else that that came into the kingdom with you? No, no, I was the only teenager in the church uh, uh, until when my brother got saved uh, December of that year, and then my sister got saved the next year, and and my brother was coming to church for a while. But then his dad uh, was pulling on him to come live with him. He said, I want you to come back to Austin and live with me. And so my mom, she, you know, she, uh, regrettably, but she she released him to go live back there. And I was dealing with my brother. I said, listen, man, serve God. There's a church in Austin. Find that church. Go, you know, and he, unfortunately, he had backslid after a few months. And, uh, but I was the only teenager in the church. And it wasn't. It wasn't until I met my wife and then there was two teenagers in the church. <laughs> that was it. You know, everybody else was, you know, military, uh, yeah. and young family. So we were the only teenagers in the church and then until probably around 92, uh, right after I graduated high school is when we started wow. getting an influx of teenagers. Well, that's a, yeah, that's an interesting little detail because, uh, when you don't have people, your own age group, sometimes that can be difficult. You might feel isolated sometimes. Yeah, but you know what was so powerful about that? And I tell the teenagers at my church, uh, it didn't matter. The 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 I think the youngest person to me is a young man by the name of Terry. He's 25, I'm 16. You know, James is 30 at that time. And so everybody, you know, uh, is old. I think Marvin was 26, 27, somewhere around there. And uh, but they didn't they didn't they didn't compartmentalize me uh, in their eyes. I was just like them. I mean, I mm. went to every fellowship. I went on outreaches. Uh, I mean, it, it was just, I was just a part of the family. They didn't make me feel, oh, you're a kid. I never heard that language. And yeah. in fellowships, all we talked about was winning the world. You know, yeah. we, we're going to, hey, I'm going to preach for you. You're going to preach for me. And, you know, and I, I'm going to preach the gospel. I wasn't even called, but at that time, I didn't, I, I didn't get called to preach until I was 17. But my first year as a Christian, uh, I didn't feel, oh, I'm a teenager. I'm this, I'm that. I didn't feel that at all. I, I didn't feel that, you know, that, that separation. We were just one, uh, one family. It, it was just so yeah. powerful to me. 
Well, that's wisdom. We we are one body in Christ, and yeah. and uh, I I think that sometimes. Uh, you know, churches, we want to serve different age groups, and that's why we have the different ministries for, uh, you know, teens and then young adults and then, you know, married couples. And But I, I think sometimes that can that can also be a detriment if it's not treated right, mm. because we are we're supposed to be one church. You know, like I read this old book one time. Sometimes I like, you know, picking up one of these books from, from a, a old preacher from, you know, the 1800s or, right. uh, or, right. or even earlier than that. But I, I read one, I think it, it was JC Ryle. And oh, he wow. said, uh, he said, uh, in that book, he said that he recommended that when parents bring their children to church, that they should sit their children right next to them and teach them how to listen to the sermon, just like everybody else. Exactly. And I thought, you know, there's some wisdom in that, you know, yeah. because we are all one one body in Christ. So excellent. Yeah. But that's interesting. I, um, I I'm wondering about the uh, the Colleen Church then. So you you were there pretty early on. How long had the church been there when you arrived? Uh, the church was founded in 1984. Uh, pastor Mark Olson actually was pastoring in Sierra Vista and launched the first couple into Colleen in 1984. Wow. And then there was uh, another couple that came in. Uh, I don't know if it was from Sierra Vista or not. I don't know who that guy was. But the third pastor uh, came in and that's when, you know, the Marvins of the world and uh, the Staplemans and the Nickersons and the Quinones, that's when they came uh, somewhere around 80, 85, 86, that area around there. Then Pastor Alvarez came and took it over in 88. <clears throat> he was there from 88 to 91, and I got saved in 90. And we mm. were right around, I'd say around 30, 27 to 30 people uh, when I got saved. Now, I think that's what kind of helped me with the church is that I wasn't plugged into a big church where you had a team ministry, where you have, we we were all together. Yeah. So I think that kind of right. helped me. Uh, but uh he left in 91 and then George Piper came in and he was pretty much uh, my foundational pastor, so to speak. Uh, Bob Alvarez did invest in me, you know, yeah. uh, but he was only with me for that year, you know, whereas right. Piper came in and like discipled me, uh, right. married me and my wife, uh, dedicated my first two, two kids, launched me into Virginia wow. Beach, you know, so he played a major role. Uh, in my life. And he was my pastor for 11 years. Wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, before, uh, before uh, 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 Larry Mitchell uh, took over yeah. in 02. And, I, you know, I've gone mm -hmm. to Virginia to come back, you know, so I've, uh, there was some miles on the tires. So to sure. Speak, by the time right. Pastor Mitchell had come in, but, but that was, um, that was the, the history, so to speak. Uh, when Piper came in, uh, we were able to move into another building uh, we had we had doubled in size uh, that first year. By the time I graduated high school, we were running around 60, 70 people. Uh, mm -hmm. And then we jumped up another 20 people by 93, 94. And then when Hector Ortiz came in, I want to say March of 95, uh, that's when the church really, really took off. I think we went from 90 people to 150 people in six months. And yeah. then it just really just took on a life of its own, you know, um, I, I went to Virginia. He, he took over temple. I mean, and, and you know, 
Then we had other churches out on the field. And when I came back for redirection, by 99, we're running 300 folks. Uh, we had three services. We had service at 930. We had a service at 11. And then we had a service at 530. Uh, and we were, we were working out of two buildings. I mean, we, I mean, it was, it was crazy, uh, uh, what was going on, uh, during, during that time. So that stretch from, I'd say 95 to 2000 was just an incredible, uh, golden age type on the surface. Yeah. But what was happening underneath, obviously, uh, I didn't know it at the time, apparently, you know, not to go into too much, but there was some some things happening uh, that eventually led to his departure. And mm -hmm. we didn't suffer that much. Uh, but that time, like that explosive growth, uh, we didn't see that, like, like uh, in my opinion, uh, and seen anything like that mm -hmm. since. Uh, but what wow. we have seen, glory to God, has been a steady growth and power and dominion uh, and, you know, Pastor Mitchell came in and really uh, mended some broken hearts and, and got us back on track and launched churches and said, yeah, that's that's who we are, you know. And then obviously, you know, Rosario coming in uh, in 2010, I was in Dallas at the time and 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 and, and came in and and recouped and, and gave us, uh, in my opinion, an era of world evangelism where, you know, mm -hmm. it's Honduras and, and, and all of that and going overseas and, and preaching and, and discipling and, and you get kind of, you know, keeping the ship uh, straight. And, and I mean, you know, today we have a conference. I mean, this, we dreamed about this when yeah. we were, you know, in our one bedroom apartment, we're going to have our own conference, you know, and this and that, you know, and, and, and here we are. And for Pastor Rosario to come in and take us, you know, to that level, it's just, it's, you know, it's just incredible what God is doing uh, in, in my mother church. And we're feeling the effects of that. Our church is growing. Our, our work out on the field is doing doing well. You know, so now, you know, I got to find a building for the brother. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's just, mm. it's just a beautiful thing uh, because Praise when God. mama's doing good, babies do good. So this is know, right. just excited, you know, about what God is doing. Praise God. Well, hey, I, I have some more questions for you. I, sure. I want to ask about uh, I want to ask about Mrs. Lamont and I want to ask uh, how she came in the picture. I want to ask also about your discipleship journey and how you were called to preach. Uh, but we're going to say goodbye to our free listeners uh, and we're going to save that for our subscribers. So if you want to hear the rest of this discussion, uh, go ahead and hit that subscribe button in the description and you will be listening to that shortly. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with part two.